Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, we read about how humility is the beginning of wisdom, which means that pride is the beginning of folly. In other words, if I'm harboring an attitude of pride, it will always lead to folly. And conversely, when I have a heart of humility, it will lead to wisdom. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Proverbs. Sometimes we get our priorities horribly mixed up. Some people believe that family pride is all that matters. But today, Pastor J.D. reminds us that pride for the sake of ourselves is folly, and it only leads to failure. If you want to be wise in your ways, humble yourself, follow Jesus, and set your priorities in a way that He would. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Proverbs chapter 16 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. When I was on the mainland especially, I just got to know a lot of very rich fools. And I mean, you, you just look at these people and they have the world's wealth, and yet they do not have wisdom. They do not have understanding. Verse 17, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. In other words, it's for your own good. If if you choose the highway, the right way, the upright way, and depart from evil, you're doing it for your own soul. And conversely, if you don't, you do so to your own peril. Verse 18, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, this is um, oftentimes misquoted, and I realize there are other Proverbs that talk about pride coming before the fall, but here we're not told that pride comes before the fall. We're told that pride goes before destruction. Destruction is a little more severe than a fall. Destruction, that means you're destroyed by your pride. A haughty spirit, what's, what's the difference? The, the pride is this exalting of oneself, and that's what leads to destruction. The haughty spirit is being full of oneself. Do you see the difference? See, pride is, I exalt myself over you. I'm better than you. A haughty spirit is to be full of oneself. It's that arrogance, that that haughtiness of being full. I suppose you could safely say that it's narcissism. It's all about you, and you are so full of you. That's haughtiness, and that comes before the fall. 
verse 19. Here's the opposite end of that. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, we read about how humility is the beginning of wisdom, which means that pride is the beginning of folly. In other words, if I'm harboring an attitude of pride, it will always lead to folly. And conversely, when I have a heart of humility, it will lead to wisdom. He humbles the proud, he exalts the humble. The way up is the way down. You know, one of the things about humility that I think is oftentimes missed is that this is what made Jesus so attractive when He was here on earth in His public ministry. You know, I always uh, marvel, for lack of a better word, at how the children were so attracted to Jesus. And he, he was so approachable. I mean, even one time the disciples were like, kids, get out of here, go play on the freeway. <laughs> you know, don't you know who this is? This is the Son of God. This is the Savior of the world. This is the incarnate God. This is the Creator. And get out of here, kids. Aren't, aren't you supposed to be in school or whatever, you know? And Jesus is like, excuse me? What are you guys doing? And he rebukes them. He says, don't do that. Don't keep the children from coming to me. For such is the kingdom of heaven made of these. But what's missed in that account, we always, you know, you've heard it taught. I'm sure I've taught it that way too. You know, that the childlikeness where Jesus says, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a child. But I think what's missed is that these children were attracted to Him in the first place. In other words, His disposition, His countenance, His whole demeanor must have been so approachable, so inviting. You want to know why it was? Because of His humility and His meekness. That's what made Him so attractive. You know, I I think about with children, with me, they, they don't run to me, they run from me. I had one, this is many years ago, again, I always use illustrations from the mainland when I was uh, pastoring the church there. I had um, one parent come to me and says, my child thinks you're scary. (laughs) And then my my wife's like, you know, you are scary. You need to smile more from the pulpit, because you can look really mean. So think about, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but Here's God incarnate, and He's humble? Humility? That's what made Him so attractive? Could it be that this is why God resists the proud? He he knows the proud from afar off, like, get away from me. I don't even want to be, be around you. Isn't it true that we like to be around people that are humble? And we don't want to be around people that are proud and full of themselves and know-it-alls. I mean, we see them come and we go the other direction. But when somebody is just humble and meek and gentle and all of the traits, fruit of the Holy Spirit, kind, 
Jesus was all of that. And by the way, spoiler alert, this is what His purpose is in Romans 8.29. It's to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, to make us more like Jesus. That trial, that adversity, that affliction, that suffering that you have in your life, that's to make you more humble, gentle, kind, compassionate, meek, patient. How about that one? I hate that one. (laughs) And it's making you more like Jesus, because that's the purpose, is to conform us and to make us more like Christ. One last thought on this. You and I, I want you to think this through with me, you and I are never more like Jesus than when we're humble. And conversely, we are never more like the devil than when we're proud. One has aptly noted that the letter I is right smack in the middle of the word pride. And so too is the letter I right smack in the middle of the word sin. I think about Lucifer when he was cast out of heaven He said some eight times, I will ascend my throne above the Most High. I, 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 I heard, this is early on in my Christian walks, probably one of the best things I'd ever heard. It's not for the faint at heart. You know, they say, don't try this at home. No, you need to try this at home. When you get home and when you pray, Try and count how many times I, me, or my is in your prayer. Well, think about that. One has called it the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Okay, that's, I'm getting really convicted. So we're going to move on to verse 20. He who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. You'll never be disappointed. If you put your hope in the Lord, He will never let you down. Whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. But there's also a prerequisite, by the way, and it's that of heeding the Word. Not just being a hearer of the Word, but taking heed to the Word. As James again says that to be merely a hearer of the Word is like looking in the mirror and seeing yourself in the mirror of God's Word. And that's how God sees you, by the way. You're seeing yourself as God sees you. And so you see that and then you walk away and you don't do anything about it and you forget about it. That is what it is for those who are merely a hearer of the Word, but not a doer of the Word. And by the way, wouldn't it make sense that the one who is a doer of the Word trusts in the Word of the Lord and the Lord of the Word? Verse 21, the wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of lips increases learning. It's just the, the, like Paul says, our words are seasoned with salt. 
grace. The, this is one of those Proverbs that speaks to an important truth, I believe of paramount importance, that it's not so much what we say, it's how we say what we say. The tone, the, the, the heart, the spirit behind it. Is it a sweet spirit? Verse 22, understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. In other words, don't waste your time. Try to correct a fool. It's an exercise in futility, and it's an exercise in folly. They're not going to have any of it. They're not going to receive it. You're going to rebuke a mocker, you're going to incur the wrath. We're going to see that as well. You'll forgive me, but Proverbs 12.1, he who hates correction is stupid. No, that's the New King James Version. So yes, I said that word, stupid, <laughs> because you will not heed correction. Don't even bother. Don't bother correcting a fool. It's a waste of time. Verse 23, the heart of the wise, I like the imagery here, teaches his mouth. It's like, mouth, sit down. I've got to teach you a lesson here. <laughs> Teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. You know, sometimes I think our mouths need to learn a lesson. Verse 24, along the same lines, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. You know, just an encouraging word, a kind word. It's so sweet to the soul, so encouraging, so uplifting, so healthy to the bones. It just lifts your spirit. Now verse 25 is a very well-known one. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You might be so convinced that this is the right way, and unbeknownst to you, it is the way that leads to death. Verse 26, the person who labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. This is where we get that expression, by the way, in the corporate world, in the secular world, in the business world. Uh, they're not hungry enough. They're not working hard enough because they're not hungry. The hunger is what drives them on. Verse 27, this is interesting. An ungodly man digs up evil. They're always trying to dig something up, stir something up. And it is on his lips like a burning fire. Boy, well, we're going to get to this at the end of the chapter. Verse 28, a perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. You know what that's saying? That's saying that when you gossip about somebody, you destroy them. You separate the best of friends, and you're sowing strife and discord. And by the way, we, Proverbs 7, the seventh, six things God hates, the seventh is an abomination, and the seventh is those who sow discord amongst the brethren. It's an abomination to the Lord, and a perverse man sows strife. I would encourage you, if you're interested, uh, read Numbers chapter 16. It is a very 
oh, it's pretty graphic. But Moses' cousin, Korah, starts this coup, stirs up this strife, and recruits 250 men in Israel to come against Moses and say to Moses, who do you think you are? You think you alone are going to lead God's people? We're just as qualified as you. And Moses' response, he goes right down to his face and just cries out to the Lord. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to handle this. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to have him with all of his recruits, and you're going to have them all meet tomorrow morning at the tent of meeting. And I will decide this. So he says to Korah, uh, tomorrow morning, tent of meeting, we'll meet here. We'll let the Lord decide this. If the Lord wants you to lead, fine. See ya. <laughs> Wouldn't want to be ya. I never wanted this job to begin with, by the way. I tried to argue with God. And you know, when he was from that burning bush and he called me, I said, you got the wrong guy. So I never signed up for this. I never applied for this. So you want it? Fine. If God wants you to have it, fine. See you tomorrow morning. So tomorrow morning comes. And here's Moses, here's Korah, here's the 250. And um, God says to Moses and Aaron, you might want to kind of distance yourself from them, because I'm going to settle this right here and right now. And boy, did he. You know what he did? So he opens up the earth, and he swallows them up. I guess that kind of settles it. You know, if I were Moses, which is why God would never entrust me to be a Moses, I would have said, does anybody else want my job? Just curious. Just let me know now, because we're going to settle this right now. It's kind of like, no, Moses, you the man, you the man, you the man. You know what's really weird about this? I guess weird, for lack of a better word, the very next day, the Israelites start complaining and murmuring blaming Moses for Korah and the 250 men dying. You killed them! How dare you? And God's like, no they didn't. <laughs> and yes they did. And to their credit, Moses and Aaron start interceding, saying to God, God don't kill them. And there was already a plague that was sent out. And I think it was something like 18,500 of them. God just killed on the spot. Okay, let's read Proverbs verse 28 again. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Bottom line, God takes this very seriously. Verse 29, I've seen, by the way, and I've shared this before, and I won't belabor it, but I've seen over the years, again, I'm talking more about on the mainland, I've seen lives destroyed, I've seen marriages destroyed, I've seen pastors, ministries destroyed, I've seen churches destroyed, I've seen young people's lives destroyed that want nothing to do with the Lord, the things of the Lord. They will never darken the door of a church ever again because of that. That's why God takes it seriously. Verse 29, a violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. I think that's self-explanatory. He winks his eye, verse 30, to devise perverse things. He purses his lips and brings about evil. I like verse 31. The silver-haired head <laughs> is a crown of glory 
It was more gray than black, I think, now for me. If, this is a big if, it is found in the way of righteousness. Verse 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. This is not an easy do. It requires great strength, great self-control to be able to rule your own spirit and control your anger, slow to anger. And then lastly, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. We don't cast lots anymore. We have the Word of God. But in that day they would cast lots to determine and make a decision. But what this proverb is saying is that every decision is from the Lord. I want to close just with a couple of final thoughts, one of which is that it's becoming abundantly clear in our study through the Proverbs, and we're going to see this. We're, by the way, we're halfway through-ish. So yeah, we're halfway through. Well, we're a little bit more than halfway through, 31 chapters, right? But what we're going to see in the uh, rest of the chapters of the book of Proverbs are these recurring themes and these repetitive truths. And for a reason, I believe. And the reason is that it's a powerful means of both learning and retaining truth vis-a-vis the repetition. Perhaps you've heard it said that for memorization, you have to repeat something over and over and over again. And I think there's a neurological reason for that too, because it develops and creates these paths in the brain. That's why you do things without even thinking, because they become habits. And so you create this path by way of the repetition, and that's what these recurring themes and repetitive truths accomplish. It's the repetition that reinforces the truth, and with it, the application of the wisdom in that truth. One last thought. Knowledge is just information, but wisdom is the application of that information. In other words, you can just have knowledge, head knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, by the way, right? So you can know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're wise. You're wise when you apply what you know. And again, this goes back to being a doer, not merely a hearer of God's Word. I love Proverbs. Oh my goodness. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth. Our time with you is coming to an end today, but that doesn't mean you have to stop learning from God's Word. We encourage you to read the Bible yourself. You can start in Proverbs, where Pastor J.D. left off, or turn to another book. Each one holds information, encouragement, and instruction that will be beneficial to you. Are you part of a community of believers? If you haven't yet found a church that you can call home, we'd like to encourage you to make that a top priority. A church family can be a source of support and comfort, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. This is also a place you can serve and encourage others too, and where you can be challenged to dive deeper into your relationship with Christ. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you have a standing invitation to be part of our family of believers. 
Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more and get directions at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates. We also have some helpful resources, too. You'll find Pastor J.D.'s ABCs of Salvation there, a great way to share the simplicity of the gospel message with friends and family. That's all available at our website. Again, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time for more from Proverbs, right here on In Spirit and Truth. Call me, me true, true.